You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. My wife enjoys uh, a lot of these home makeover shows. You may have seen them um, where, you know, people buy two sticks and a, and a roof and then uh, in, in about 45 minutes, it's this beautiful mansion uh, that people do. Uh, and, and I... I enjoy watching those occasionally. I like the car version of that same show, right? Where a guy buys like some rust and an old tire and then 45 minutes later, it's, you know, this, this great hot rod. But both of those shows, have they end the same way. They, they actually start in the middle. It's pretty much the same way too. Like with the cars, there's always more rust than they thought. Um, so all I've learned about old cars is there's always more rust than you think. With the houses, there's always some kind of foundational, structural, or zoning issue that, you know, it's like, will they get it done in time? Go to commercial. And then they come back and they did get it done in time. And, but it ends with the reveal, Right, so maybe with the car, maybe they have a sheet over it, or or maybe they bring it to the guy. Um, with the uh, house, you know, maybe they move that bus, or they've got uh, some kind of big uh, picture that's that's moved. But whatever it is, they reveal the finished product, and when they do, it's great. It's great, right? The people, their reaction is like, oh, I can't, you know, and, and they're excited. And they should be. Listen, let me just say, if someone gave me a new remodeled house, I'd be excited too. If someone gave me a new uh, or old restored car, I'd really be excited. Not that that's going to happen, but I'm just saying. If you're, you know, already worried about Christmas next year, Start now because there's more rust than you think. Also happens at weddings. I've been married now for uh, 20 some odd years, 29, I know. Um, She looked at me like, really? I know the answer. That question I know the answer to. So I don't think about weddings a whole lot. But my daughter's engaged. And weddings have become a topic around my house. Oh, I love talking about weddings. But there's that moment. Maybe you're in the church and the bride steps into the doorway. Maybe you're outside and she comes from behind a tree or reveals but that first moment where the bride is revealed. That's a special moment. For the groom, uh, oftentimes he hasn't seen her in her dress. He hasn't seen her all made up. And, and, and he's excited about that. I can remember standing at the front of a church in East Texas 29 years ago. My best man leaning over and whispering in my ear, hey, man, we can get out of here right now. That's a true story. And me saying to him, shut up, man. I'm trying to get married. 
And the bridesmaids coming down and the ring bearer coming down and the flower girl coming down. But then my wife stepped into that doorway. And the bride was revealed. And in Romans chapter 3, and in verse number 21, it says this. But now... The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. We've been talking for several weeks now as we begin this series through Romans. And Paul starts in in declaring his gospel by talking about how we are under the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is revealed in nature, The wrath of God is revealed in our own hearts, and God revealed his wrath through the law. He gave us a set of commands, not so that we could keep them and show ourselves right before God, because what we learned last week is nobody can do that. Rather, what was revealed is just how we're not good enough. And all of what we've been talking about really is not good news. Paul said this was his gospel. The gospel means good news, but so far it hasn't been good news, but now this is the kicker. This is the good news. This is the revelation. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set, before, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So I want us to look at this passage this morning. And I, it, as, a, as a preacher, I, I've enjoyed preaching uh, through Romans so far, but Parts of it are tough because really over and over we've just kind of been saying, you're under the wrath of God. You're a sinner. You're destined for judgment. You can't do it on your own. And and Paul brings us to that point, but not to leave us there, but say, now the righteousness of God is revealed. And he's revealed through Jesus. And so the first thing that we understand is that God is doing a new thing. God has done a new thing in Jesus Christ. And and to to the, the Jews especially, this was revolutionary because the law was what they had. The law was what they were focused on and and trying to do it the best they could and have a good heart and attitude as they did it and and praying that God would would accept, even though it wasn't perfect, their their life before him. But Paul said, 
Now the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. It's revealed in a person, in Jesus Christ. That's why our theme and, and what Paul would write in Romans 1.17 is, for, it, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, this new thing is not, here's the set of rules, do the best you can. The new thing is, your, good, your best isn't good enough, so God sent his best. He sent Jesus. Jesus is good enough. All you have to do is believe in him. All you have to do is trust in him. The righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. And Romans 1.17 says it's revealed from faith to faith. And it comes through Jesus Christ. I think this is a very important point. And it's a point that a lot of times as Christians, maybe we don't think about, or if, we, if, if you were to ask us, we would say, oh yeah, that's what I believe, but do we practice it? See, I know a lot of people that say, oh, you're a pastor. Well, Jesus, he was a great teacher. Listen, Jesus taught some good things, but I want you to understand something. If you look at the teachings of Jesus, they were often difficult. It's why Jesus could gather a great crowd around him. He would perform miracles. He would feed them. He would heal the sick. But oftentimes they would leave him. Why? Because his teachings were difficult. Jesus in John chapter 14, he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to them about the Father. He says, listen, you, you know the Father. You've seen the Father. And, and again, these are, are, are Jews who are following Jesus. And, and the Old Testament said, you can't look on God and live. And they're like, we haven't seen the Father. And Jesus would say to them, if you see me, you see the Father. But he also said this to him. He said, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know how to get there and you know where I'm going and you can go there. And they were like, we don't know. We, we, I mean, we understand you're talking about heaven and eternity, but we don't, we, we're following you to try to get there. And Jesus said this in John chapter 14 and verse six. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I heard one pastor put it, preacher put it this way. He said, Jesus was very narrow-minded on this point. There is one way to get to God. There is one way to get to heaven. It is through Jesus Christ. And outside of him, there is no other way. These are from the words of Jesus. He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. That's why oftentimes when you see the description of Jesus, he is God's only 
son. Because there's only one way. Yes, God makes all of us children, but none of us can sacrifice. None of us are perfect. None of us are holy. Only Jesus is God's only begotten son. He is the only way to the Father and eternal life. He's it. God's given us one option. And the righteousness of God is revealed through Jesus. Verses 22 and 23 says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and he says, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no difference. And we know that Paul has already established on a couple of occasions that he's talking about the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, which were non-Jews. And we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks, that, that there were advantages to, to being Jewish. They were God's chosen people. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what your family heritage or your nationality is. You are born under the condemnation of sin. And the only way to, to get out of that is through Jesus Christ. And so he says there's no difference. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're educated or ignorant. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. We're all under the wrath of God. And then he says we all fall short of the glory of God. We've talked about that. We've talked about the fact that we're all sinners. But I want to focus on this verse a little bit differently. Because it says... It, it doesn't just say that we fall short of the standard of God. And we do fall short of God's standard, holiness. But it says we fall short of the glory of God. And this morning, I want to give you some good news. And that is through Jesus Christ, as we are justified, part of that is that we partake in the glory of of God. I don't think that that's something that we think a whole lot about. See, both in church and, and certainly in our own thinking, we're often concerned with what's right in front of us, right? We're often concerned with the troubles and the difficulties of today. And that's understandable because we have a lot of troubles and difficulties and, and that's, that's what's right in front of us. For some of you, you know, you absolutely know, man, tomorrow's going to be a tough day. I got to go to work. I've got to deal with this. I've got this meeting or I've got this situation. I've got this conflict that's been brewing or I've got whatever it is. All of us have plenty of difficulties to deal with. But when we talk about eternity, one of the things we fall short of God's glory, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we partake in the glory of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where? In us. Now, I would think that verse might say that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in Christ. Or when we see God. And I think that those things are are true. But the glory is revealed in us. It's not just us looking at God's glory. It's us partaking in God's glory. And look at what Romans 8 and verse 18 says. Listen, I've spent some time over the last couple of years meditating on this passage. The sufferings of this present time. Do we have sufferings in this world? I mean, we have disease. We have catastrophes. We've got storms and fires and volcanoes and you name it, right? Every time we turn on the television, it's, it's more sufferings in this present world. And when we look at those, we can look at those and think, where's God in all of this? And it's not just globally, it can be personally. Loss and struggle and suffering. But he says those things don't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. In us. Think about that for a moment. I know that there are folks that struggle physically in their body. Struggle with pain and, and chronic pain. And, it, and it, it, it can be debilitating at times. And that level of physical pain doesn't just affect them physically, but it can affect them emotionally and mentally as well. And yet Romans says that suffering doesn't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. I believe one of the great lies of Satan is to minimize the glory of eternity with Jesus Christ. To make it seem boring or insignificant. But Paul would say, look at the suffering. The Romans understood suffering. At the time the book of Romans was written, the new Caesar was a man by the name of Nero. And although strong persecution hadn't yet started for the Christians in the same way it would come, it had already started. And Nero would later take Christians and dip them in oil and light them on fire. Hold them up so that all could watch them burn. That was only a few years away from the writing of the book of Romans. And I can imagine that first church reading Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 and saying, the sufferings of this world are not to be compared to the glory that
that will be revealed in us. And so while we fall short of God's glory on our own, he desires to bring us into his glory. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we, are, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I saw a meme the other day. It said my greatest childhood memory is when my back didn't hurt. I thought that was funny. Some of you guys are like, huh, you're obviously too young then to get that. Walked in this morning, Mason Moore, I said, hey, how are you doing? He goes, I'm tired. I said, listen, you, when you're talking to someone my age, you are too young to be tired, period. I don't care if you were up all night. I'm tired, man. I always say, I think I was born with used knees. They were wore out when I got them. Some of you are looking at me and going, Preacher, you're upright. You're a lot better than I am. But he says we're going to transform. And certainly there's a physical transformation. I think about that sometimes. Not just to be without pain. That sounds great. But to be without sin and temptation where I'm not even like struggling not to lose my temper. I just react with the mind of Christ. This is the glory that God wants to reveal in us. He goes on in verse 24 and says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus I'll tell you, in that little verse, there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to move through it quickly, but I, want you, I don't want you to miss this. He first says, being justified freely. Romans has a lot to say about this idea of justified. Uh, there's a definition that says, well, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And that's a good definition. Uh, it, it's, the, it's the legal declaration that God declares us innocent, even though we are guilty. Its justification is to be made positionally righteous. We have the position of righteousness. Our position before God is important. I, the best way I can think of it is in the relationship between a child and a parent. See, I didn't do it today, but sometimes while we're singing, I'll go over and go to the nursery or go to the B-Kids or I, I don't usually get down to, to the older B kids because we dismiss them and I'm coming up here. 
But I appreciate the children we have in our church. You know, I told somebody, I mean, listen, when kids are running around and they've got half of their chocolate donut on their face and the other half on their hands and you know they're going to fall and smear it on the carpet or the walls, you know what? I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to see that. Because we love little kids more than we love carpet. Amen? Like we can clean that carpet. I'm glad that parents are bringing their kids to come to church and hear that Jesus Christ loves them. And if they make a mess while they're here, well then, isn't that the best kind of problem to have as a church? Let me just tell you, yes, that's the best kind of problem to have as a church. We see those little kids running around. And I, and I love them. And some of them, some of your kids, I was messing with some kids this morning, they just look at me like, oh, I get it. I've seen me. Some of them are a little more friendly. But I don't love any kid in this church more than I love my kid. And I think she's the best. You might say, well, my kid's the best. Well, you know what? You should think that. You don't have to think my kid's the best. But I do. Why? Because she's mine. I've got a daughter who's engaged, and she lives out in South Carolina. And every once in a while, she'll text me, and she goes, she'll say, are you busy? If she texts me, are you busy, I know she wants to talk to me on the phone. You know what I do? I call her. There's not anything more important than me talking to her on the phone. I, I, if, if, if I'm talking to you on the phone and I get that text, I'm going to try to in that conversation pretty quick. Why? Because she's my daughter. And I don't ever want her to think that dad doesn't have enough time for her. That's her position. We are made positionally righteous before God. That's, that's how he can adopt us as sons and daughters before him. So that when he looks at us, he doesn't see somebody who is worthy of, of, the, of his wrath and his judgment, but rather he sees the holiness of Jesus and he loves us and he brings us to himself, not because of what we've done, but because the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith through Jesus Christ. And so God freely justifies us. Of course, it's free to us, but it costs Jesus Christ his life. He goes on and says, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption is the idea of a, of a payment paid to liberate a slave. It's literally the purchasing of a slave for the, in order to free them. That is what it means that God redeems us. He frees us from sin. 
and we are purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus would say in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he said this, and to give his life a ransom for many. We know what a ransom is, right? I mean, a ransom is what's paid when someone has been kidnapped. It's what's paid to, to get them back, to, to free them. And Jesus Christ came to be our ransom because we've been kidnapped. We're under bondage. We are under sin. That's what Romans says. And there is no hope for us to free ourselves. So Jesus paid the ransom. He redeemed us. And finally, verses 25 and 26 of Romans 3, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. That's a lot of words we don't normally use, right? God set, God set forth as a propitiation. What does that mean? Propitiation is the idea of, of stemming off a wrath or judgment. It's, it's appeasing a, a, a judgment or a wrath. Leviticus talks about this uh, as it relates to sacrificing. In Leviticus 16 and verse 15, it says this, Then he, talking about the priest, shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions. For all their sins, and sh so shall he do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. The, the priest would come in once a year. He would take a, a, a bull and he would take a goat and they would kill them. And they would take their blood and they would go in to the holy of holies. This, the, the ark of God that was covered by this, this covering that had the, the, these, these carvings of angels overlaid in gold, and he would take and he would sprinkle this blood on it as a propitiation, an offering that would roll back the sin of the people. The, the sacrifice of a goat or a bull could not appease, could not pay the price. It couldn't redeem the people, but it would roll it back. But Jesus Christ came as the ultimate propitiation. Not only that, but he says, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. See, God delayed his judgment in anticipation of the coming of Christ. 
That's why the Bible says in that the saints of the Old Testament were saved not by keeping of the law, but by their faith. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, known as the faith chapter, and it says, by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, all of these guys who, who served God and believed God, and they did it by faith, men and women. And then it says this at the very end of that chapter. It says, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, they weren't redeemed except for through their faith. And the focus of that is Jesus. I was thinking about that a little bit this week, and I was thinking about the second coming of Christ. See, we look forward to that, and, and we think, Lord, this, this, this world is a mess, and, and you just need to come back and establish your kingdom and, and, and take us to yourself. And, but the Bible says that God is, is forbearing that. He is patient in that because he wants to see more people come to himself. This is God's plan. And God delayed his judgment for the coming of Christ. And God is delaying his return, which will bring in his judgment so that people can repent and come to him. But God's judgment will come. God is just. And he is the justifier. That's what verse 26 says to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. First John says this, in this the love of God was manifested or was made known toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. The one who would redeem us, who would justify us, who paid the ransom for us. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're under the wrath of God. We deserve the judgment of God. We are born under sin. We will live under sin. And outside of the intervention of God through Jesus Christ, we will die in our sin. But God did not leave us there. He sent his son to be the ransom for many. Now, Paul said, the righteousness of God is revealed through Jesus Christ, apart from the law, by faith. And so if you're here this morning and you say, well, preacher, I'm counting on me being good enough. You're not good enough. That's not me trying to be judgmental or superior. It's just saying that the standard is the holiness of God, and you don't meet it. None of us do. 
Listen, I can give my whole life preaching the gospel and serving the needs of people. That's not enough for me to get to heaven. I am not going to stand before God and say, God, I proclaim the good news in your name. God, I comforted people in your name. God, I fed people in your name. God, I prayed for people in your name. And that's why you ought to let me into heaven. God would say, that's not good enough. Because you know what? God would look on my heart and he would find sin. Because even when I did some of those things, I might have done them in pride and my own strength. And I fall short of the glory of God. Rather, when I stand before God, I will say, God, I put my faith and my trust in you. In, in the work of Jesus Christ, that's all I can rely on. I don't proclaim the good news so that God will, will find favor in me. Listen, I preach because of all that God's done for me. How could I be silent? And so my question to you today is this. Do you know Jesus Christ? Has there been a place and a time where you've asked God to forgive you of the wrong things that you've done and you've put your faith in him? On Briarwood Drive, right up here on Green Mountain, when I was six years old, on a Saturday morning, I was listening to a radio program after my mom made me turn off the TV and wouldn't let me watch cartoons anymore. This was the oppressive home I lived in. And I remember walking in, and I had heard about Jesus, and I had been taken to this very church, and I heard the Sunday school stories, but I never really got it. And I walked in on that Saturday morning, and I said, Mom, I'm not saved. And she said, I know. And she showed me some verses, and I don't even remember those verses. But I remember this. I remember we went to the back bedroom, her bedroom. I remember we knelt on the hardwood floor, and I remember she had this turquoise bedspread. I remember that bedspread for two occasions. One, when I threw a stick through her window that overlooked the bed. I remember glass all over that bedspread. But before that, I remember kneeling at that bed. I didn't understand what justification was. I didn't understand what ransom and redeemed and it, I, couldn't, I couldn't say or spell propitiation. You know what I said? I said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me and I trust Jesus. And that was the day. I've sinned since then. But God's grace provides forgiveness for that. Oh, I've messed up since then. I haven't always done his will. But God, God lives within me since that day. And I am waiting for the day on which his glory will be revealed in the fullness of eternity. And you 
you too can have the forgiveness of your sins. You too can have God's presence in your life. You say, well, preacher, I've done. Listen, your sin does not compare to the glory of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters where your faith and your trust is. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. And just for a moment, I'm going to ask folks to be still. Our band's going to make their way to the, to the front. But I want you to consider your situation. Your spiritual position before God. And the question is simply this. Are you or are you not justified? Are you positionally righteous before God? That does not have anything to do with what you have done. It has to do with where is your faith? Is your faith in you being good enough? Is your faith in, well, I think in the end God's going to let us all in? Or is your faith in Jesus Christ and the price that he paid? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, I would just encourage you right there in your seat this morning, in your heart, to simply call out to God. And as it's recorded in the scriptures, to simply call out and say, God, save me, a sinner. God, save me, a sinner. I put my faith, my trust in Jesus. And I ask you to save me. Scripture says that God is faithful to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we will only call out to him. And this morning, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I just want to rejoice with you. I want to pray for you this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you just slip your hand up and say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer today. I ask God to forgive me, and, and I just I want to let you know and, and have you pray for me. I want to do that this morning. God bless you. God, I pray that we would not lose the, the, the joy and the wonder of what it means to be justified before you. God, I pray that you would help us to share and live in the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be reminded this week that the troubles of this world are not to be compared with the glory that you're going to reveal in us. And God, if there's somebody still here today that is struggling with their relationship with you, Lord, I pray that even this week they would, they would find the faith and the courage to simply call out to you. 
And bless us as we go from this place today. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.